The scripture reading this morning is Ruth 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as the garter redeemer had me- he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. 
Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Mount Olympus. Good to be here with all of you. Uh, Today we're going to close out our sermon series on the book of Ruth. Um, But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning to encounter you in your word and in this story of Ruth and Naomi. Settle us in uh, and make us attentive to the good news that you have for each of us in this scripture. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we have finally arrived at our last chapter in Ruth. Um, Hasn't taken very long. It's only four chapters long. Um, But these four short chapters are some of my favorite in all of the Old Testament. And hopefully if you've been with us these last few weeks, you can understand why. Uh, It's It's not a a grand story about kings or prophets or about any of the major events like creation or the exodus. It's just a story about ordinary people in ordinary circumstances. Two women who are trying to get by and put food on the table and figure out how they're gonna take care of themselves. And we'll see as we close it out today that it's a story that involves grief and loss and, and uncertainty taking risks, making promises, having kids. Uh, And ultimately, it's about the love and the faithfulness of God woven in and through all of it. Um, And in case you're new to the story or you missed some parts in our series, we're gonna uh, walk together through a little recap and then we'll dig into this last chapter and see how it all comes together. Um, So the story of Ruth begins with an Israelite woman named Naomi and her husband Elimelech. Uh, They have two boys, Malon and Kilion. And the four of them decide to leave their hometown in Bethlehem when there was a time of famine. uh, And they traveled together to the land of Moab. And soon after they arrive, Elimelech dies and leaves Naomi and her two boys. These boys go on to marry two Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah. And they live together there for 10 years in Moab. And then both of her sons also pass away. Uh, So now... Naomi is left as a widow uh, with her two daughters-in-law. And when she finally hears that God has provided food again in Bethlehem, she decides that she's had enough of Moab, she's going to return to her homeland. And so the three of them start making their way back to Israel. Uh, But along the way, she sort of has a little bit of a change of heart, (laughs) realizing that she has nothing to offer these women anymore. Uh, It's not like she's going to have any more kids. What are they going to do? Uh, So they would be better off returning home and finding husbands for themselves within their own people. And Orpah sort of reluctantly and tearfully agrees. She turns and she makes her way back to her family. But Ruth, uh, Ruth is stubborn, uh, and she just clings to Naomi. You might remember this scene. She uh, cries and just commits to her in this moment on the road and says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. 
Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. So it's a pretty bold statement. Um, And it was fairly unthinkable at the time that she would say this, because this is a time where a woman's well-being depended almost entirely on having a husband and on then having kids who were able to take care of her in her her old age. Uh, But Ruth loved Naomi. She loved her deeply. She was willing to take this risk and to walk with her and not let her be alone. And Naomi realizes she's not going to be able to shake off this persistent daughter-in-law of hers. Um, So the two of them make their way back to Israel. Uh, But when they show up, Naomi encounters women who had known her previously in her life, and, and she tells them not to call her Naomi anymore, because Naomi means pleasant, and that instead they should call her Mara, which means bitter. Because she says, the Lord, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Um, And yet we're told this was right at the time when the barley harvest was beginning in Israel. So um, after the two of them settle in, the start of chapter 2, we see Ruth offering to go work in the fields to provide them something to eat. Uh, And it just so happens that she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz has heard of this mysterious Moabite woman that comes into town with Naomi. And so when he figures out that Ruth is this woman. Um, He invites her to stay in his fields, to glean with his workers. He tells his hired hands not to give her any trouble. Um, And then he even gives her extra amounts of grain and leftovers to take back to Naomi. And uh, when Ruth gets home and Naomi hears about this, we see the first glimmers of hope in her since all of this happened, this tragedy for her in Moab. Uh, She says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness, um, or chesed, this Hebrew word we've been learning about that means steadfast love to the living and the dead. So finally, she feels like she has a bit of good news. They might actually be able to figure this out and be okay. Uh, She tells Ruth that Boaz is a relative of their family, that he's what's called a kinsman redeemer, meaning that he would have the ability to buy the land of her late husband uh, on behalf of their family now that Elimelech has passed away. Uh, And so Ruth continues to work in Boaz's fields and uh, stays there the rest of the harvest season, and it seems like they're uh, going to be provided for in some ways. And so, uh, as Pastor Chris pointed out to us last week, one of their primary needs, their need for food, had been satisfied at this point, but uh, their need for family has not. And we've sort of already touched on the fact that two women alone in a very patriarchal society leaves Ruth and Naomi without much security. Uh, So as we get into chapter 3, Naomi begins hatching a clever plan to see to that problem as well uh, in one of the more salacious stories we find in the Old Testament. Um, She tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor where Boaz is going to be winnowing grain um, and to sort of sneak in after he falls asleep and to uncover his feet and to lay down there and wait. Uh, and, and Ruth does this. She takes another huge risk and listens to her mother-in-law and goes. Uh, and Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, presumably because his feet got a little cold, uh, and he's startled to find this woman uh, lying at his feet and sort of groggily and sleepily doesn't recognize her, and he says, who are you? Uh, and she goes out on a limb one last time, and she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. And so what she's saying with that, uh, she's asking Boaz in his role as a redeemer to, uh, to act and to marry her. 
Um, and this is a much bigger deal than one short sentence can convey, right? Ruth is not only already a widow, she's also a foreigner from Moab, which is repeated over and over in the story so that we remember she's not from here. Uh, and this is significant because Moab was the land that the Israelites were once forbidden to marry from. They were not welcomed into the assembly of the people of God because when God's people had been led out of uh, Egypt by Moses, they were passing through the desert and the land of Moab tried to curse them on their way rather than welcoming them and supplying them. And so they were barred from assembly. Uh, and that is exactly where Ruth is from. And on top of being this sort of conspicuous foreigner, She's also a field worker. I mean, she's a nobody. She has nothing to offer Boaz. And yet here she is proposing in the middle of the night to a wealthy Israelite landowner and asking him to redeem her and her family. And despite all of this evidence against her, Boaz responds by blessing her in the same way that Naomi once blessed him. He says to Ruth, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, again, this chesed, this steadfast love, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. So yes, he says yes. I will redeem you. I will make sure you are taken care of. Boaz is willing to step up and take this risk, to meet her in this, because he sees the steadfast love of God in Ruth in the way that she has committed herself to Naomi. Um, but there is one problem, as we found out. Uh, there's another man who has the right of first refusal, uh, someone who's closer to Ruth's family than Boaz is. Uh, and he says, uh, he invites her to get some rest for the rest of the night. He gives her some extra grain to take back to Naomi. And then he says that he will figure it out and get all of it settled. Um, and that's where we pick up at the start of chapter four. Uh, but at this point, before we jump into that, I want us to pause for just a minute uh, and take a moment to reflect on what we've seen so far in the story of Ruth. So on the one hand, uh, we've seen pain, right? We've seen death and famine and vulnerability to women who have lost everything and are desperately doing their best to try and get by. This is a tough story. But on the other hand, we've also seen courage and faithfulness and the form of kindness that goes well beyond what is required. As we've seen Ruth commit to Naomi and now Boaz committing to Ruth. It turns out even ordinary lives are full of complication, as we well know, right? But where do you see yourself in this story? Which of these characters have you most resonated with as you've heard this, and why? What part of the story is your life in right now? Take a moment to situate yourself in this. Maybe you feel a bit like, like Naomi. Like this has been a rough season. You are walking through an experience of grief. Maybe you've lost a loved one or you've lost a home or you realize that life is not turning out exactly as you thought that it might. Or maybe you're like Ruth and you are diligently just putting one foot forward in front of the other. 
Maybe you're trying to muster up the courage to take a big risk. Um, or maybe you're feeling a bit out of place. Like the place that you're in is not yet a space that feels like home. Or maybe you're like Boaz and life is actually going okay at the moment. And you know, you're in a position not of need, but of being able to see and help someone else in need. You know, you have wisdom and gifts to share with them in this moment because you know what it's like to have been in positions like Ruth and Naomi. Where are you at? How does your story intersect with this story in Ruth? What feelings or concerns or experiences can you relate to with these characters? You know, because the place and the time might be very different, but we are still very human and we know on an intuitive and emotional level, much of what Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are going through. We can relate to this. We know what it's like to feel hopelessness or bitterness, to feel out of place or to encounter something completely new and unexpected and have to figure out how to navigate all of it. Just this last week, I was with a good friend of mine. I had a chance to go up to Washington State and visit her. She was uh, recently diagnosed with a terminal illness. She is right there in the thick of sorting this out, of all of the fear and the uncertainty and the dread. She's trying to figure out what's next. She's trying to figure out how to parent her girls <laughs> as she's just got all of this fear and pain that she is going through. You know, and these are the times in our lives when we ask ourselves, how will it end? What's going to happen? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? We're going to tune back into the final chapter of Ruth at this point. And we can imagine Ruth and Naomi asking some of these questions uh, ourselves as, we, as they're waiting in the morning to hear sort of how their fate is going to be decided. Um, and we find out that the answer to this question, these questions for them, at least in this particular time and place, is decided at the gate. Um, so in ancient Israel, rather than cities having like a big central square, some sort of city hall, uh, the town gate was the place where the important business took place. So most cities and towns had a large uh, defensive wall around them, or at least around the central part of them. Um, and so the, the gate complex became the funneling point in and out of the town to the fields and back again. It was where you were most likely to catch someone in the course of the day. And it eventually became the place where prophets would come to speak and kings would come out from the city to address their subjects. Uh, but in the time of Ruth, well before there were any prophets or kings, uh, it's where the elders of the town would meet to make decisions and to pronounce judgments. It was a, a, an important gathering place. And so this morning, following Ruth's proposal, this is exactly where Boaz heads. He goes immediately for the gate, knowing that this was most likely the place where he was going to run into this next of kin. Um, and it just so happens that this person, who happened to be closer to Naomi's family than he is, comes walking by, and Boaz asks him to sit down. And he slowly collects ten of the elders, and he invites them to sit as well, and he offers this man the right to redeem the family of Elimelech. Uh, now, as we, as we heard, most of the chapter is dedicated to this exchange. And as it turns out, Boaz is just as crafty as Naomi when it comes to uh, planning and uh, making things happen. 
He first offers this man his right as a goel, which is our Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer. Uh, He says, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know. Uh, For there's no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. And at the prospect of increasing his land and his property, in what sounds like a great opportunity, this other man says, uh, yeah, I'll redeem it. Uh, And then Boaz pulls a bit of a bait and switch on this poor guy. (laughs) He tells him, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. Uh, so in addition to acting as a, as a goel or this uh, kinsman redeemer role who purchases the land, Boaz is also sort of imposing on this man the responsibility of acting as what we call a, a levier. Um, if you've ever heard the term leveret marriage, this is where that comes from. But it was the practice in Israel and other ancient Near Eastern cultures where uh, a husband's brother would marry uh, that man's widow if he happened to die without leaving any kids. And he would produce an heir uh, who that firstborn child would then inherit the original brother's name and title and land. And so those things would be preserved in the family line. This was usually um, a role that fell to the brother of someone who had died. And it's interesting in this case because it doesn't seem like this kinsman redeemer is the brother of Elimelech. uh, Or Naomi was likely to have known about it, I would imagine. Um, It's also a bit sneaky on Boaz's part, right? Because he tells the man that Naomi, who's too old to have any more children, is selling the land of Elimelech, and only afterward brings up Ruth as this widow who could continue on Elimelech's family line. Uh, And it's a bit unclear here, according to some of our biblical scholars, whether it would have been within this man's right to purchase the land without marrying Ruth. Uh, But either way, it's kind of a lose-lose situation for him, as it turns out. Because if he buys the land and he marries Ruth, that land would eventually pass to her son uh, in someone else's name, rather than being added to the inheritance of his family. And if he buys the land, but he doesn't marry Ruth, uh, Boaz has seemed to indicate that he also might be interested. Um, And if Ruth and Boaz had a child, the land would eventually be returned to that child and he would have lost on his investment. So, I mean, what's the poor guy left to do? He's backed into the corner a little bit. Uh, He says to Boaz, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance, so take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And now Boaz is free to do exactly as he intended to do. (laughs) He proclaims to the elders there, today you are witnesses that I have acquired the land of Elimelech, uh, and that I will take Ruth to be my wife seems like things might actually turn out okay. And all the people there watching agree, and they give Boaz a blessing. They say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem, and through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Um, Now, this is pretty incredible if we think back to this context we've been talking about. 
Ruth was an outsider, a Moabite, (laughs) by all rights outcast and despised from this community. And yet in this blessing, the people of Bethlehem are wishing upon her the legacy of some of the most extraordinary women in all of Israel's history. Rachel and Leah, who were the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Tamar, who is the only woman in all of the Old Testament to have been called righteous. And it was for doing exactly what Ruth is doing here in seeking out someone to provide for her and to carry on her family's name. So in this climactic moment, taking all of this into consideration, it would seem that it's not only Ruth and the land that are being redeemed. If a despised, outcast Moabite can be blessed and welcomed into the people of God, there is an even bigger story of redemption going on. We get a glimpse in this marriage of Ruth and Boaz of God's intention, of his desire to redeem all people, to reconcile us to one another, and to make everything, even in our individual uncertain lives, turn out okay in the end. He has a plan, and we see it here in this zoomed-in story. (laughs) Two ordinary people whose lives turn out to very much be a part of God's extraordinary plan. So Boaz, by the grace of God, is able and willing to act as Ruth's kinsman redeemer and to change the lives of both of these women. And in turn, we find out changes the whole course of Israel's history in this act of of boldness and sacrificial love. Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a son, and by the end of this chapter we find out that that son becomes the grandfather of the greatest king that Israel ever had, King David. And Ruth does, in fact, leave a legacy like Leah and Rachel and Tamar. (laughs) So through this act of redemption, God builds a kingdom for Israel. And we know from the rest of our biblical story that King David then becomes an ancestor of Israel's true king and greatest redeemer in Jesus, who is building a kingdom even here and now. The story continues. There is a good end to the story. But before we reach that ending, uh, there's one more blessing to be had, and this time it's by the women of Bethlehem. Remember that when Naomi first returned home, she told all of these women to call her Mara, which meant bitter, because the Lord had brought her back empty. But now, in light of Ruth and Boaz's child, these same women pronounce a blessing over Naomi. They say to her, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. And this baby, whom they name Obed, is called a restorer of life for Naomi. She who was once grieving and fearful and empty has been filled. God has not left her alone. He was providing exactly what she needed, even when she couldn't see it. She wasn't empty, right? She had Ruth, who loved her with this godly, steadfast love, and who was more to her than seven sons. And in in the Bible, seven is this number that is representative of wholeness and perfection and completeness. 
So God was working all along. There was always a plan of redemption. And this story is our story too. God's faithfulness and his provision in the story of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth is a reflection of the larger story of God with us in Christ. We also have a kinsman redeemer in the person of Jesus. And the good news for us is that it's already settled. We don't have to wait on the edge of our seat to ask how the story will end. We already know. We already know. No matter what our circumstances may be, we have already been redeemed and restored and welcomed into the family of God, welcomed by the steadfast love of Jesus. I mean, a lot of us are struggling uh, with transitions or trials. We see this in our individual lives, and sometimes it happens to all of us together, like it's happened in the last couple years with this pandemic. You know, we wonder where God is taking us and if he'll show up in all of this, and we worry about whether everything will turn out okay. We question our every step. We worry, we wonder if we will be okay. And the testimony of the book of Ruth is a rock-solid yes. Yes to all of it. Yes, life is really hard, and it catches us completely off guard sometimes. Uh, yes, we experience loss and grief and fear and, and uncertain or overwhelming circumstances, just like Naomi and Ruth did. Yes, so much of our life is outside of our control, and we feel it. And yes, God is still faithful. He's still in the thick of it with us. He still has his steady hand in our story and will walk through it with us. I mean, unfortunately for us, the suffering of the world is a fact that Scripture just takes for granted. It's agonizing sometimes, but it's one of those things that, that, that just is because this world is messy and broken. We don't always know the answer to the question, why? Why did there have to be a famine in Bethlehem? Why did Elimelech have to die? Why did this diagnosis have to happen? Why did this person have to pass? Why do I find myself in the midst of these particular circumstances? Sometimes there's not a good explanation. Even Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. You just will. It's a given. <laughs> but take heart. I have overcome the world. Even in the midst of all of our brokenness and need, God has shown up and he has still said, yes, I will choose you. I will be your kinsman redeemer. In me, you will have life to the fullest. And together, our legacy will be a kingdom. And the character of that kingdom is going to look a lot like the character of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, right? It's going to be marked by kindness and commitment. It's going to be welcoming beyond belief. And it will be full of steadfast and faithful chesed love. So knowing that, even though it doesn't make all of the suffering go away, even though we don't know what's coming next, knowing that our job now is to be radically loving and to be risk-taking and to be kingdom people who know and trust that our Redeemer has already come, that even in our ordinary lives, he is still working out his extraordinary plan.
this is who we are. I love that story that we sang. This is who you are, and this is who we are. That's the end of the story. And because we already know the end of the story, we can know and trust that even here and now, God is with us, and it will be okay. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you are our Redeemer in a way that we don't understand or deserve. We know that sometimes in the thick of it, it is hard to know and trust that you are here, that somehow in the midst of all of this chaos and pain, you are working out your redemptive plan. But God, every time we feel alone, every time we feel those feelings of overwhelm, may we be reminded of the story of Ruth and Naomi, the boldness, the sacrifice, the steadfastness. And may we know the end of the story and cling to that as Ruth clung to Naomi. May we continue to follow you and trust that we can live life like Jesus did, full of risks and full of love, and that in the end, you will work out all things to your good, and that even for us, it will be okay. Thank you for your grace and your goodness, for your willingness to redeem us as broken people. Thank you for your love and even your patience with us. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.